Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. On this chilly, frigid time in the East Coast, I was away in Florida for a while over the break, but back. And yeah, one more person asked me uh, or tells me, you must be used to this weather. You used to live in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm going to punch them. You never get used to this weather. People out there aren't even used to it. But yeah, it's kind of an upper Midwest freeze going on now on the East Coast. So as I sit here with my fire, with my wine... (laughs) Grading exams from last semester at Villanova Law. I'll tell you a couple interesting uh, answers already I've seen on that one in a minute. Uh, I thought I'd give you some rants about some big issues going on sort of at the end of the season, start of the postseason. NFL business issues abound as always. Three things I'll get to right here. The Packers, of course, the team I have so much uh, history with and so much knowledge of making some changes. And and my insights on that, especially the removal of Ted Thompson from that post and what's next. Then we'll get to the Patriots, the bombshell story from ESPN about potential rift between the triumvirate in New England, Kraft, Brady, and Belichick. Give you my thoughts there. And of course, the big news of John Gruden, who I worked with at ESPN and know well, uh, moving to Oakland to take over that franchise, or at least for two years before moving to Las Vegas and the billion-dollar stadium that's being built for the Raiders in Vegas. My thoughts there. So we'll start on this business of sports, Brant's rants on this frigid day on the East Coast as the sun sets. We'll start with the Packers. You know, change is rare in the frigid air of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was in those offices, 1265 Lombardi Avenue, of course. And it's obviously ironic it's still named, it's named Lombardi Avenue because in some ways a lot of what goes on at the Packers and the community of Green Bay seems like it's stuck in the Lombardi era. I just remember some things looking around like, wow, they still do this. Now, of course, some of it is Wisconsin and small town and You know, the first banquet I went to in Green Bay, people are walking around with big glasses of milk that they put in front of you and they're ready to pour if you take a few sips. I'd never seen that before nor since where they serve milk at banquets. Part of that was Wisconsin and the dairy state. Part of it is just an old time feel. Uh, Even in the offices, I remember getting there a couple years and I'm like, listen, We need a voicemail system for nights and weekends. We can't just have people call and not have a way to leave messages for people. And the office manager and others looked at me and said, well, well, why would people do that? Why would they call after hours? And so this is the kind of thinking you have to sort of move again. Now, what's happened this week is the Packers have made some changes. Some of the changes I'm not really in a position to comment on in terms of on the field firing Dom Capers the defensive coordinator. Fun fact about Don Capers, by the way, when I left, he was coming in and almost, almost bought my house. I was close to selling my house. Ultimately, he decided to rent because he had uh, had houses from other stops along the way of his coaching career. And that's what these peripatetic lives that these coaches lead. So he rented. I did not sell my house to Don Capers. He's out in Green Bay after all these years. And so are a couple other coaches and a couple offensive coaches. 
my friend Edgar Bennett maybe reassigned longtime fixture at the Packers as a player, as a player programs guy for a year, and then of course as coach leading all the way up to coordinator. So there's some changes. The changes off the field more interesting to me, and I can comment more. Uh, Ted Thompson's moving on. Now, Ted Thompson, people have a lot of opinions about Ted Thompson. I can sort of give you my insights because the first day I started in Green Bay in February 1999, I walked in. Ron Wolf, who hired me, sort of showed me. So I didn't have an office. I didn't know where to go. He said, well, you don't, we don't have an office yet, but come sit with this guy. So he takes me in this room, and this white-haired guy kind of says hello, and that's where I'm sharing an office for actually a year. I shared an office with Ted Thompson. Uh, he didn't say much, and that's a, a theme of this, but I didn't see a lot of Ted even sharing an office because as the scouting life, he was on the road a lot of the time, and his heavy time in the office was in the winter getting ready for the draft, but again, not a lot of time in the office. He came back. He left a year. He went to Seattle. He came back 2005. I worked with him three years where he was general manager. We worked very closely together. I really tried to engage him in things beyond football, but he, it was tough. Some things that got his attention going were things like uh, ride, bi bike riding. He was a bike rider. He rode his bike uh, to work when it was warm. Uh, he liked the stock market. You know, He had a brief career in that area in between football stops. So, but generally, he had this simple existence. It's really amazing to me. I mean, I know we're not in the era we are now, but even a little while ago, Ted Thompson existed and successfully existed as a general manager in a in a way that he just didn't like dealing with media. He would he had this admirable ability to not take things too seriously. You know, if he was pressed about players, he said, "Well, he's a fine fellow. You know, we'll try to get him going." If he's pressed about things like uh, Aaron Rodgers taking over for Brett, he would just say, well, that's the plan. And, you know, he lived this sort of simple hermit-like existence. He had the place on the water on the Fox River. He went home. He was in bed early. In fact, when I was doing negotiations into the night, sometimes I just had to make my own call. And he trusted me to do that because I wasn't going to wake him up. He didn't have his phone and he went to bed early. Uh, he didn't like dealing with the media. That was obvious. And you know what? I think Ted's going to be fine because he's going to do what he loves to do. And I think the Packers will and should continue his insights as a guy who is just in his element scouting, whether it's on the road, whether it's in the offices in that dark room, his perch in the war room watching film of players. And he knows players. Gosh, he really does. I mean, he was very simple about it when the guy wasn't very good in sort of the Ron Wolf uh, way. He would just say, well, he can't play. You know, it was very simple. What about this guy? What about that guy? Well, he can't play. And, of course, he didn't let us in on a lot of things he was thinking, but he was all about trust the board. They put the board together in the draft room for four, five, six months. And the ultimate example of that, of course, was the Aaron Rodgers example, where I had the coaching staff on one side of me and Ted on the other side of me. The board was going towards a place where the only top-rated guy on our board, the only first-round grade, was Aaron Rodgers. The coaches were rumbling, mumbling. It was like a brewing explosion coming over there because they knew if we took Aaron Rodgers, our number one pick was not going to help us that year. We had Brett Favre. Not going to help us that year and maybe not the year after, maybe never. 
But of course, Ted, what do we say? Trust the board. Take the best player. He'll help us. Maybe not now, but down the road. And we did. And the booing, the brewing of combustibility to my right with the coaching staff, the booing below in the draft party. And obviously it turned out okay. But Ted was sort of the ultimate scout and now will be again. As far as the PR stuff, we talked about that a lot because I was a little more open and honest with media, with fans, with my speaking engagements. But I was careful. I mean, listen, give me some credit. I'm a bright guy. I'm I'm not revealing trade secrets when I talk. I just thought the Packers, this community owned public team, I felt we were a steward of a public trust. And we should be a little more transparent. He did not believe that. He thought there was no value in that. And in terms of replacements, I think you'll see what happens. We have three strong internal candidates. I know them all. Two of them are scouts. Brian Gutekunst, who's handled the fertile southeast area when I was there and now has a bigger role in scouting. Good scout, good guy, easy to get along with. Elliot Wolf, I have tremendous regard for. Ron Wolf's son, he was a high school kid working in the draft room when I first got there. In fact, his girlfriend in high school was our babysitter. Uh, He is a trusted scout. He knows his stuff. I'll never forget uh, the 2006 draft, I believe. The morning of, he pulls me in his office, pulls out film of this kid from Western Michigan uh, who's catching balls. His name is Greg Jennings. He says he's going to be our second round pick, and he's going to be really good. And sure enough, he was. Uh, so those are the kind of things I think of Elliot Wolf. He's just a good guy. He's honest. He's ethical. He has no ego. Very humble guy. Uh, and never really traded on being Ron's son uh, the whole time I, I've known him. And then Russ Ball, who's got my background, replaced me in Green Bay as the cap contract guy. And of course, there are going to be questions if they go to him. But he's got some football uh, abilities beyond the cap contracts. He comes from a bit of a coaching background. I think he was a strength coach at one point. And he has a long relationship, I know, with Mike McCarthy. In fact, you know, when McCarthy got the job, he kept mentioning Russ. And when we'd go on these league meetings, it was always Russ uh, getting in touch with Mike. Russ was at New Orleans trying to get in with us uh, as the second in command of me on the cap side for a while. So Russ always had an interest in getting to Green Bay, and he did when I was leaving. And he seems to have uh, done a great job there, certainly extending what we started with cap and contract management, paying as you go, always being ahead of the curve there. And strong relationships, it seems he has with Ted, with Mike McCarthy, and of course, Mark Murphy. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, That should happen pretty soon. There'll be some outside candidates, but I I would strongly think it's going to be one of those three because in Mark Murphy's talk about it to the press, he's a media, he said uh, familiarity with Green Bay will be important. And I think that's true. I think that's important to have that. They're in the interview process now. It's him. Jed Hughes, the search firm guys, is involved. Mike McCarthy's doing the interviewing as well as Ed Policy, the general counsel there. So we'll see where it goes in Green Bay. But again, change of foot in a place that rarely has it. I can speak to that. Uh, I left there 10 years ago this month where I just felt that I had reached a ceiling and I went for the CEO job that was given to Mark Murphy, again, a search firm. Once a search firm got involved, it was it was clear they weren't going to go with the inside guy. And I was clear that professionally and personally, I wanted something different as people have seen me over the past 10 years do different things. 
So that's where we are with the Packers. Uh, change of foot, new general manager, new coaching. But in the end of the day, last comment, I don't know how much will change. If one of those three candidates gets it, which I think one of them will, uh, Mike McCarthy's still there. Mark Murphy's still there. The Packer culture's still there. I'm not sure how much will change. It'll just be sort of a reshuffling of people, but sort of the Packer way, if you will, is going to remain. I'll keep following that. Okay, speaking of a legacy franchise in the NFL, let's talk about another one, the Patriots. The bombshell story from Seth Wickersham of ESPN, a former colleague of mine who obviously has some tentacles in the Patriots organization, talking about potential rifts. Uh, you know, I'll get to the, the trainer guru, Alex Guerrero and Brady, in a minute. But, you know, the idea of Garoppolo, it sounds almost simplistic, but I guess people don't really know all this stuff about sort of incumbent franchise quarterbacks. I saw it with Brett. He knows how he got his job, Brett Favre. He replaced the guy that got hurt and never gave up the job again, the Wally Pip syndrome. You hear it from Montana. You hear it about Montana and Young. You hear about a Young and whoever replaced him. You heard about these great quarterbacks would rather have kind of a non-threatening guy behind him. And maybe it applies to Brady, where they would rather have kind of an old veteran. Now he's got Hoyer behind him rather than a young, young up-and-coming guy. So when there's a story about Brady wanting Garoppolo out of there and, and sort of solidifying his status, I guess there's some potential truth to that, only to the fact that these guys have tremendous egos, which is partly why they're so successful, don't want to be threatened. Nobody wants to be threatened in their job. Nobody wants to see their replacement right behind them every day and know at some point they will take that job from them. Brady seems as secure as ever, but you never know. This is football. No one's secure. People are secure for a while, depending on the caliber of player. That while can be a half a year, a year, or it can be several years, like a Favre, like a Brady, like a Montana. But eventually, that runs out. We see it every year. On the trainer guru Guerrero, obviously, that's a close relationship with Brady. It was tolerated, if not accepted, endorsed by the Patriots for quite a while. It's come to a head where Brady is too invested in that for their taste, and maybe Guerrero's recruiting other players, and maybe players are sort of not listening to that. Listen, this is my point. This happens much more than people think. Players have their guy. Now, their guy can be a chiropractor, can be a trainer, can be a masseuse, can be a therapist, can be a psychologist, can be a Reiki, can be all these neuromuscular the thing is, player's guy often conflicts with team's guy. And team's guy is their trainer, their strength and conditioning people that want player to be trained and rehabbed and managed a certain way, both mind and body. But player has his own guy managed a certain way, mind and body. Now, I dealt with this a lot on the Packers, sometimes with very low uh, caliber players. But the goal way for the offseason... We don't want, you know, players don't just go to a gym. Some do, I guess. Some go to, you know, your average sports club or gym, but a lot of them have their guy and they like the way their guy does things. So eventually you get this. This is a high profile case of Tom Brady wanting to do things his guy's way and probably the Patriots wanting a certain way being done that all the other players are doing. I guess my point is, it's not uncommon. It happens more than you think. This is a very high-profile nature of it. And the other point is, this is exacerbated by the CBA, which has less time at the facility in the offseason, which allows more time for players with their gurus. 
This is only going to increase with two things. One, players making more money, especially stars, and having the ability to retain these people almost on a full-time basis. Number two, the players' time in the offseason will continue to get scarce. And those two forces will combine to mean that we got a problem. This is something somewhere, maybe collective bargaining, we have to deal with because players' guys, for lack of a better word, are going to conflict and cause tension and friction with team strength and conditioning and trainers. And the last point is that group, strength, conditioning, trainers, are very, very territorial about their players and have a right to be. Teams paying them millions of dollars, they want to have their hands on them. Again, that's a figure of speech. I know we're in this day and age. But they want to have that ability. So we'll see where the Brady things go. I, I mean, the, the, the article seems to suggest one of the three is not going to be there next year or two of the three. I doubt that. We know Kraft is going to be there. I don't know how Brady's not there with no other plan. And Belichick, uh, you know, what, is he going to coach somewhere else? I doubt that. And he seems like, what's he going to do if he doesn't coach? He doesn't seem like a, a retired kind of guy. So my sense is, this will get some attraction for a while, and then we'll be back to the triumvirate again next year, perhaps with more restrictions or uh, tough conversations after the season about Guerrero and about how they're going to coexist. Last point on Gruden. Uh, Gruden to the Raiders is reality now, 10-year deal, rumored to be $100 million. First of all, John's got a good agent. Bob Lamont represents a lot of coaches. Gruden has been his stalking horse for years. Uh, he's sort of filling in the whole staff around Gruden. I dealt with Bob many times. Bob is good at creating impressions. I don't know if he's really getting $100 million. Obviously, coaching contracts are more guaranteed than player contracts. But my suspicion is $100 million is if, A, he coaches all 10 years. We'll see. And, B, he hits every single possible incentive in that contract. So what is it really $10 million a year? No. I don't know what the number is, but again, all these contracts, player contracts, Roger Goodell's contract, this contract, puffed by the agents, puffed by whoever for the media, it gets the big sell. Coaches, agents know how to deal with that. In terms of John, uh, I love him. You know, I've been in meetings at ESPN when we were getting ready for the draft, when we were having other meetings. I sat in some meetings to sort of fill everyone in on the business side, and John was there. He's got an energy I don't know if I've seen from anyone else. He he starts talking. He gets involved in these players. And the energy, the heat in the room just rises. So I can see why he's so attractive as a prospect. He will give instant credibility to the franchise. And he is on his way to uh, back to the coaching where he seems to have his blood all the way. So uh, big fan of John Gruden. Again, I'm not an X's and O's guy, but his ability to motivate, his ability to inspire, his ability to get energy, his ability to have players run through a brick wall, that's John Gruden. In terms of the franchise and value and money, $100 million, listen, when you're having a stadium in Nevada built for $800 million or $900 million or a billion of public money, you have a lot of cash flow. Think about all these owners that don't have that money compared to the one that does. Mark Davis is certainly way down the list, if not at the bottom, in terms of net worth for NFL owners. But he just rank, ratcheted up the up the charts by not having to pay hardly anything, if anything, for a new stadium. 
So uh, John Gruden, Mark Davis, and the rest of the Raiders, they will continue to sort of uh, flirt and date uh, Oakland while they have a wife there <laughs> or a future girlfriend, I guess, they're going to get married to. A girlfriend they're going to get married to in two years in Vegas and stay there forever. So this is just such a weird relationship. Uh, it's like they've agreed to stay together for the kids, but they've got a divorce pending in two years when John Gruden and the Raiders <clears throat> will be coaching in Las Vegas, the mecca of gambling. Oh, by the way, for a league that's against gambling. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Hey, those are my thoughts uh, on a on an impromptu Brant's Rants on a uh, Friday afternoon in this frigid time as we get ready for the playoffs in the NFL. Hope you enjoy it. I always enjoy talking to the to the pod and let people know what my thoughts are, giving them unfiltered in this way. I'm going to be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. You can obviously follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. Read my stuff at the MMQB every other week, at The Athletic every other week. Uh, grading my exams for the Villanova Law School. The last point here, I got one. I'm asking about the Ezekiel Elliott case. Tell me all about it. Tell me what happened. Tell me how what his chances uh, or what, what the results were. And a student takes the liberty, I just read this, to say, oh, and by the way, not by the way, but he wrote, and Dak, S- Dak Prescott has shown himself to be an average quarterback without Elliott, especially compared to Carson Wentz, who doesn't have a running back like Elliott, lost... Darren Sproles. <laughs> now, again, beyond the scope, but, you know, nice effort there. And it's good to hear your impressions, but never change, Philly. <laughs> you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, wherever you hear your podcast. Please give us a good rating. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. Coming soon to Podcast One, Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller. Get your weekend sports roundup every Tuesday exclusively from Podcast One and comedian Dennis Miller. He's going through and circling the most exciting headlines so you don't have to and bringing you a lot of laughs along with them. Be sure to download new episodes of Red Circle Sports with Dennis Miller every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or at PodcastOne.com.